Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right. Good morning. Welcome to all of you Cafe Bitcoiners. I guess then they fight you. <laughs> uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Today is Tuesday, uh, December 12th, 2023. It's another awesome week in Bitcoin. But oh boy, oh boy, uh, are the lizards riled the hell up. We're going to be diving into a, a bunch of this stuff today. Good morning to Jacob, Peter, Dom Bay, Ant, Nuclear Bitcoiner, and all of our uh, folks out there, um, all you Cafe Bitcoiners today. Let's do a couple of quick intro things. We're going to dig right in. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin, episode 496. Shout outs to our supporters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Fountain, Overcast. Our mission is to provide the signal in a sea of noise. Teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin today. We are going to be discussing <laughs> lizard efforts to stop Bitcoin. We're going to be talking with nuclear Bitcoiner here about Bitcoin mining. Good morning, brother. Thanks for joining us. We'll be talking a little bit about volcano bonds. D is there anything that you guys want to hit really quick before I start jumping into these things? All right, let's go. Uh, first thing up, Snowden tweeted out, oppose the House Intelligence Committee's FISA 702 reauthorization bill. You got an open mic, Jacob. Uh, it's a fake reform that actually secretly expands warrantless surveillance. So oppose FISA 702 reauthorization, House Intelligence Committee FISA 702. Support the Protect Liberty Bill, the competing real reform. So just want to get that out there. Does anybody have any comments on that? I have already written my representative about this 702 bill. I can't even keep up. I mean, I'm going to start writing a, 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 a something to my representative or my senators every fucking day. I can't keep up. We can keep up and we will keep up and uh, appreciate the fact that you're writing them. Anybody else? Okay, uh, while we got nuclear here, uh, nuclear, I know you're here for like the first 30 minutes of the show. Why don't we just dig right into stuff with you and then we can cover this other stuff, um, what I'm now referring to as Lizards Against Bitcoin Labs. Uh, nuclear, what's going on in your world, man? I understand you just got back. Were you traveling to Africa? Yes, that is correct. I was just at, at attendance at the African Bitcoin Conference in Accra, Ghana. So I got to see Bitcoin being used in the wild in Africa. 
And I'm sure all of you guys have heard about the Machinkura product, but like I was hanging out with most of their team for a good chunk of the weekend. And those guys are machines. Just everybody that we went to, every merchant, any any opportunity they had, they were orange pilling everybody. And especially if they were like, oh, I can't use Bitcoin because I have a smartphone. They were like, well, let us correct you on that, sir. And then some of the best instances when we we would go to a merchant and then they would set them up with the matching core wallet and they already had sats in there from somebody else that had paid them for something else previously. So it was it was quite magical to see it in the wild and then meeting with the Bitcoin miners in Africa, like the Virunga Project guys, the Gridless guys. Uh, I actually, I invited somebody from Generation Atomic, a group that I am no longer a part of because reasons. Uh, but a, a member from that group that I'm friends with now is a nuclear engineer from Nigeria. So I thought it would be a great idea to invite him to come and meet some Bitcoiners. And I changed that kid's life. I introduced him to guys like like Jeff Booth, Alex Gladstein, all of the miners. He was interested in uh, like the coding and software side, so he was hanging out with a bunch of developers. So it was very uh, interesting experience for him. And now he's gone back to Nigeria and he's already sees opportunities for microgrids that he can start developing with Bitcoin mining. And the guys like uh, Tomas from the Varunga Project were very enthusiastic to do whatever they can to help him get started. And uh, Gridless actually, well, it, the the over company the the Great Ameri- a Great African Mining Association, they announced this program where they're going to, to, in order to get smaller scale miners kind of started, they want to help at least subsidize the cost of like their first like 10 or so ASICs to at least get the ball rolling and develop some of these like projects that they're looking into. So yeah, Africa was amazing. I met all kinds of people from the Fetty group who's making, doing amazing products. They, like, they were using a Fediment for the conference and showed a bunch of people just how you can use it to like buy phone minutes and various things that like serve these African markets. Cause like they have a whole host of different problems that we have that Bitcoin serves that it doesn't even matter to what we need. Like we have services that work that, that they don't like. And then on the a day after the conference, some of us were invited to go and vi- visit the uh, Bitcoin Dua project, which is in a very small village, about four hours from the city in a small town called Egbozume where they took us around to meet a few merchants that they have already started orange pilling. They showed us the progress of their education center, which it's off to a great start, but there's definitely a lot of work to do. So I'm looking forward to see how that progresses. But it's an awesome team. They've they've got some very talented young uh, people supporting that project. And it's going to uh, do amazing things for the people of that community. I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. Like what is... It sounds to me like over there they are absolutely on fire for Bitcoin and and like pushing the mission forward. I mean, <laughs> would you say they're more enthusiastic, more dedicated than Bitcoiners in the West? Like, what's your or or how do you view that? Like when they see it, like they get it right away. Like you don't need to go through all of the nonsense that you typically deal with when you talk to somebody in in a Western country that that'll go about like, oh, what about the energy? What about what about the criminals? They're just like this works, and I can like send money to people without having to deal with counterparties. And once once it clicks, they're just like, oh, this just makes perfect sense. Like they already use the uh, like the Momo stuff, the mobile money software, so they're already familiar with having most of their banking done on the phone, anyways, because they. They've already skipped most of the brick and mortar banking type of applications and gone right to like, we can do this digitally. It's just another upgrade for them with just a technology that that they're already kind of primed to understand, especially 
dealing with the amount of inflation that we talked about. Like, like I was at one point I was complaining about like, Oh my God, we had, we had inflation up to like eight, nine percent in Canada. And they were just like, you know, we would fucking love that. So stop complaining. <laughs> That's funny. It's great to get perspectives like that. So what is the Momo mobile money software? Explain that. I don't really know exactly like, but it's just, it, it kind of evolved out of the fact that they were using like phone minutes as a currency and then just the developed applications where they just started being able to use their actual currencies. But like, they still struggle with like, it's challenging to spend like a Kenyan currency in Ghana or a Nigerian currency in Kenya. Like those, those are still major challenges to overcome. So we were introduced to some developers that were developing software where you can just use the Bitcoin rails to send one currency to the other. And it just pops out as the fiat currency and whoever's using it in theory would not even realize that they're using Bitcoin. So that's the kind of stuff that's really going to push adoption forward when it's just all of the background stuff is just abstracted away. Okay. I got one other quick question. Then we'll go with Peter is, uh, I saw this thing from Peter McCormick the other day where he's saying that there, there are people in Africa that are able to, um, broadcast or send, Bitcoin transactions just by text messaging. Like they don't have like uh, internet. They're just using cellular data and text messaging and they can send, if I'm understanding it correctly, they can send Bitcoin transactions that way. Do you know yeah, anything that's about that? Uh, that's that's uh, Machinkura. The, the, that's a group of guys from, uh, I, forgot, I forget what his name is, but they're uh, based out of South Africa. And so far it's only available in six, maybe seven countries, but they're, they're expanding quickly. And yeah, the guy that created this, he's an absolute genius. And like, I, I highly recommend checking out any of the panels from the African conference. Cause like it definitely gives a completely different perspective on the problems that they are trying to solve relative to the problems that we're trying to solve here in the West. That is so cool. Um, it just it it it's interesting to me because the resiliency aspect of that. Basically, you're just sending a text message, which is um, a very small chunk of data, right? Like you could theoretically send that over all kinds of networks, whether the internet was there or not. Interesting. Yeah, completely, uh, like, just moves removes the need for having that digital connection, and like they they've got really good like cellular capabilities there because they skipped over all the landline and just went to, to sell but but many still have not upgraded to smartphones and they're still using the feature in flip phones so this is a massive unlock for the, those sorts of people and merchants that still only have those capabilities hella, hella cool all right peter go ahead so you mentioned um you know the the, the fud that we have to get through people in the West. Um, obviously we're just, we're too informed. There's too much virtual virtue signaling. There's, there's too many people who don't want to separate themselves from the herd. Um, there, there's gotta be some kind of, of objections or FUD or hurdles that these people have to go through, even though they get it as money. What, what would you say is the primary, um, hurdle that they have there? It's just being exposed to it more than anything. Cause it's just like a lot of them, even though they've, they've, they've heard the word Bitcoin, just nobody knows that these things are available to them until somebody actually teaches them. So like there were instances like, like on the last day, a, a bunch of us, probably a group of 12 of us, we went horseback riding on the beach and we made sure that every one of those men, like there was one of them that already had Bitcoin capabilities and was, he was more than willing to receive it. But every other one that was there, we, we taught them from scratch and set them up with magic portal wallet or, if they had smartphones, set them up with like uh, like Blink or just something simple for their first wallet. And yeah, once once they got it, they got it. But it was just yeah, it's 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 that exposure. 
we just, and that's boots on the ground education and getting just more people that do know what they're doing to just start that ripple effect is like once you touch one person and then, and then they go out to their network and then they touch more people and then it just starts expanding exponentially. And like, there was actually a really cool bar. The, the, the owner of it, Ezra, he's, he's a Bitcoiner. So like that was where we were hanging out almost all week. That was, that was the cool spot where the Bitcoiners would always be. If you, if you wanted to uh, go and hang with your tribe, so they don't care. Money's money, and if they if it's if it's functional, it's functional. Is that kind of how that how that works? Absolutely. Yeah. They just they just need it to solve to, to to perform like money, just like anybody else does. They weren't caught up on, on any of the hangups of the flood that we deal with. They were just like it lets me lets me engage in transactions and lets me buy my phone minutes and just like that. That's all we need. And then they'll they'll go down the rabbit hole on their own at their own pace but like it solves a problem that they need solved and that that was the best part of hanging out with these people is they are they're machines when it comes to orange pilling those matching kuro guys yeah and then on like other stuff i don't know if many of you have seen dennis porter's been promoting a study that new hampshire did that i consulted on that uh Bitcoin was a big part of, and I just basically just putting out all the same ideas that we always hear that it's just, it's, it's the perfect energy consumer to any number of, of power generation, especially when you have excess that doesn't have anywhere to go. So that was an interesting one. And that started an interesting conversation with my generation atomic group, because I was, I invited them to come to a Twitter space that Mike Hobart uh, had hosted the, uh, the, uh, on Friday night. And then I immediately got accused of associating with criminals and terrorists. And they put up all the, the report from the EU that they're using to justify their crackdown on crypto. And I was just like, oh, my God. So I pull out the sword and start sharpening and throw out, just dumped out all the FUD. But um, I think it was a little bit too much for some of them to handle. And uh, yes, I will say that I am no longer a part of that uh, nuclear advocacy group because they could not handle some Austrian ideas conflicting with their Keynesian or communist outlooks that some of them had, but it was fun while it lasted. I made some good, good relationships with some of the people in that group, but I'm, I'm no ill will towards them, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. I'm moving so, on. Uh, out of curiosity, did you have a, did you have a, was this like a live debate where they came at you with the kitchen no. knives, so to speak? No, this was like a private chat group that we have amongst ourselves. And yeah, I was, I was, I was accused of some things and I, I definitely got, got a bit defensive and maybe, maybe went a little, little too aggressive against some of these things that were being uh, pushed on me. But I was like, I, yeah, uh, I wasn't having it. And I, uh, I may have, uh, yeah, caused an interesting rift amongst a few in the group and myself. So, but I wasn't here. Well, I, 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 it was it was interesting to be part of, but uh, yeah, I'm not really bothered by it too much. Got I've it. got bigger things to do. All right. Any other cool things you want to share from your uh, time over in Africa? And then also, I'd love to get to get a little like get some thoughts from you on nuclear Bitcoin mining. <laughs> yeah, like Africa's great. It's got a lot of potential. Like I was there to speak on a panel. I was with uh, with Elliot from the Sustainable Bitcoin Institute. Um, and uh, Jesse, who's the host of the Hoddle Up podcast, which is, if, if no one's heard that one, that is a phenomenal Bitcoin mining content podcast. 
and uh, one of the guys from Gridless. And then the preceding panel was the guys from Virunga. One of the coolest things that I learned about that project is that they are now using the exhaust acetate to dry cocoa beans for a local farmer. And then they brought in a Belgian chocolatier and now they're making chocolate from the mining operation in the Virunga jungle. And then another thing that I learned about that too was that they are hiring and employing former child soldiers. So like that is a pretty awesome uh, project that they've got going on there. Wow, that is really cool. A lot of people don't even know about that whole child soldier thing, which is an entirely different subject. But uh, man, that is really cool to to hear. And I love it when you find out that people are using Bitcoin mining to do all this other uh, stuff that is really good for basically just economic activity and services for humans and that's that's great stuff yeah and like when i do finally like break through the barriers and expose people to these things like you can really start seeing the wheels turning and but it, yeah getting getting over that fud that's really at a fever pitch right now because i don't know they must be scared and threatened by us because obvious reasons but we'll just keep slowly grinding forward and grinding them down and until they uh, eventually capitulate, but it's going to be a tough ride with a lot of battles ahead of us, it seems. Yeah, 20, 2024 is shaping up to be a super, super interesting year. I mean, you've got these massively opposing, so to speak, forces that are coming together in a gigantic... Um, they're meeting in the middle. It's like you've got... You know, we were talking about earlier this week how TradFi now loves Bitcoin and that 2024 TradFi is going to be Bitcoin's marketing department, which is going to be amazing. There's going to be probably a Bitcoin-only Super Bowl commercial. You're going to have the largest financial institutions in the world basically covering Bitcoin, probably with positive spins. Uh You've got the elections, the U.S. presidential elections coming up, which who knows what kind of shenanigans are going oh, to happen. It's already shaping up to be like the greatest circus in the world. It's, like, yeah. I don't know if any of you caught, caught that Twitter space the other day when they brought Alex Jones back. <laughs> and then, and then like, like we got Vivek on stage and he's talking all these great things about Bitcoin. And then like, uh, yeah, that, that moment where he was clearly establishing dominance over the room by, uh, by uh, pissing. Was still on the microphone. That was, a, that was quite the moment, and and they played it off really well. And it was just like, yeah, he's just a human like the rest of us. Moving on. Yeah, that's but, yeah, great. It is cool to see that, that Bitcoin is being taken seriously at these these levels. Yeah, and then and then the other part about that is that then they fight you thing in earnest, right? So this is uh, this is all going down. So there's this new uh, thing that um, if you're cool to move on, we could we could start hitting this stuff with Elizabeth Warren, et cetera. There's this new thing that uh, she's proposed. Let me see. Senator Elizabeth Warren has introduced in the Senate and continues to gather momentum. Um, I'm not sure what the name of this bill is, but uh, essentially it will do a number of different things. Number one, extend the Bank Secrecy Act responsibilities of know-your-customer requirements to digital asset wallet providers, miners, validators, and other network participants, that's very vague, that may act to validate, secure, or facilitate digital asset transactions. This is very broad language. 
Um, I'd like to get anybody who wants to discuss this topic. I'd like you to come up on the, up on the stage and let's dig into it. Um, my first feel, I mean, my first feeling on it is if, and we'll break each part of this thing down. There's one, two, three, four, five other sections of this that it affects or five other, uh, topics that it affects. Some of this stuff, I'm not really sure how they would enforce, uh, but other stuff is, is, pretty concerning or interesting. So we got to start figuring out, well, what, what does this all mean? Any immediate comments? I say, let them expose their impotence and it's going to be humiliating for them. Cause if they take a big swing like this and they miss, it's just going to prove to the world even more that like they, they can't do anything to stop what's being built here. This is, this is true, but, you know, you were talking about the FUD and the virtue signaling that the people in the West have to have to wade through to, you know, get to Bitcoin. And it doesn't help with adoption, that's for sure. Very true. But like, we knew this day was going to come sooner or later. It's. Just, this is just a sad era in in United States history. This this overreach by government over the last twenty to eh, over the last twenty five years is I, I think is going to go down in history as as one of the worst eras when it comes to uh, privacy and freedom in the United States. It is really a sad era. I mean, I thought the I thought that the late sixties and early seventies were were bad, but this this just takes it to a whole new level. Well, Michelle Weekly tweeted something out that I thought was interesting. She goes, "They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna try to make us all criminals," and it's like, "Yeah, welcome to the club, man." They've been trying to do this to to firearms owners for <laughs> decades, man. This is like old hat. Um, Ant, do you have any thoughts here? I'm surprised you're not jumping in and weighing in on this topic. I do. I'm just like listening to people right now. You know, I'm I'm trying to size up my thoughts. I mean, there's a a lot going on. It's it's probably a scary time for a lot of people uh, who are newer and, you know, but this is y'all's fight in this, in this epoch. Like there's several things happening at once and it feels like you're probably, probably feels like you're being attacked from all sides. But I mean, this is the nature of this, this, this network is PVP, you know, so it's, it's going to be like this. It's, I, I agree with nuclear that you know, we've been waiting for this day. All right, let me break down my thoughts on some of these different things line by line because <clears throat> I don't doubt that they can pass any number of ridiculous laws and regulations, right? Like <laughs> people in government have been doing that forever. Um, now, whether those things are enforceable or not is a different question. So like I'd like to dig into that aspect of things. So they want to require that anyone who f meets these kind of terms are um doing know your customer uh they're they're getting know your customer information from i guess the the counterparties that they're acting with right so the first on the list is basically wallet providers so i could see how they could go to like a trezor or a ledger or even cold card and say hey uh you guys are required to get and deliver all this kyc information to the government um, on the people that you're selling this stuff to. Um, also, 
one way to basically fight that is just to go free and open source software on a lot of this kind of stuff, which I suspect we're going to start seeing more and more of. That's the way to fight back against that. Um, something else to consider is to, while you can, go out there and buy a whole bunch of freaking wallets now. Uh, seed signers, guys. It, it, yeah, seed, seed signers is the other way, right? Seed signer, talk a little bit about seed signers, Nuclear. Like, what is that, and why is that a good idea right now? Well, I he was just on uh, BTC Sessions, why we bullish like a week or two ago, if anybody wants to dig in deeper. But it's basically an open-source hardware wallet that you can assemble out of off-the-shelf parts, and then you can do dice rolls to generate your own entropy, and it just it's, it's just a way to store your seeds that... Nobody even knows that it was a Bitcoin wallet when you bought the parts and then you are the one that assembled them. So I really don't see them being able to do anything about something like that, the, the way that it's being des described. Yep. Okay. Uh, Peter. Yeah, real quick. I just want to say, when you say, I don't know how enforceable or if these things are enforceable, really is kind of misleading because... The government has unlimited resources to prosecute. No, Un they don't. Fucking limited. No, resources. they don't. No, they I don't. Know. But you know, so no, they don't. Hold on, that's the problem, though. The problem, the problem. The, you're right. It's unenforceable when it comes to a large group of people. The problem is, is that those that get in front of this fucking steamroller are destroyed. You get okay. Maybe that's true, but you're talking about indiv individuals. I'm talking about from a practical perspective on a mass societal yeah. level not possible i agree with you it's, i agree with you there the problem is is the individuals that get wrecked along the way and there will okay. be individuals that get wrecked along this the way. is true but this is where this is where we are Peter. but this you is why we have to this is why we have to all as individuals fight this thing this is why we all has as individuals have to make ourselves heard when they do okay. shit like this you, you remember when, when remember when they came out with the declaration of independence and the and they basically said we you know we basically uh, are either going to all hang together or we will surely hang alone I'm, that's I'm what old, they were talking about peter does this remember is, that date this is where we are an open source wallet behind every blade of grass. That's the way. That's the way Fuck to go. Yeah, let's go. See, this it's is this is what I'm this is what I'm saying from a practical standpoint, right? Why haven't they already taken all the guns? It's the same thing. It's only there. You can only enforce it to a certain level. Sure, there will be individuals that that they may be able to, uh, you know, attack vector on, but they're not going to do it across the entire public. It's just not possible. Don Bay, go ahead. Hey, I, I don't know if we're sliding, sliding fully into the one thing, but, you know, again, this, this is an attack on adoption more than it, from my perspective, an attack on adoption more than it is an attack on current holders. And the reason is I do not put it past uh, the government, the, the, the people controlling the government to take extreme measures to divert people away from self-custody towards uh, bigger institutions offering Bitcoin. And again, uh, even if they were to put some, you know, pass some law that would eventually become overturned and there's litigation, that would be a net win for them if they can drive swaths of people who are not on the mission, who have not found Bitcoin at its core. Um, just the hint, just the, the mainstream media story 
of something like self-custody being bad and illegal will buy them enough time to profit heavily from those people. Yeah, for sure. If 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 someone thinks that uh, this attack on self-custody is occurring at the same time as the ETFs being launched is a coincidence, maybe <laughs> maybe it's not, right? So I, I don't think it's a push against mass adoption. I think it's more like how do we maintain our ability to tax the shit out of this thing and get our get our, our you know get our cut? That's what they're worried about. I want to welcome to the stage Corey Clipston, Sam Callahan, and Zach Shapiro. What's up, Alex? Good to see you guys. Good morning. Good morning, oh, man. So I just wanted to uh, point out the procedures you'd have to go through if this bill were passed and you wanted to run a node. You'd have to get practically money service business and money transmitter licenses in all 50 states. It's going to cost you between half a million dollars and $2 million at the low end. Uh, otherwise, it's a crime. So yeah, pretty, that's pretty what cool I'm bill. saying. It's, it's, it's basically impossible to enforce, right? What are they going to do? Go to everybody's house that where someone's running a node? I don't think so. I was going to say the same thing with, with mining. So I'm just going to go through the list. So the idea here is for those of you who are just joining us, we're going through these different things uh, in this proposed bill from, from Elizabeth Warren talking about them individually. You've got <clears throat> uh, the, the know your customer requirements for miners. Again, impossible. They might be able to enforce that, um, you know, on a, on larger scale miners, but on, will they be able to enforce it against individual miners? Somebody who's running a little, a little miner in their house? I don't think. Hey, I don't think. Don't so. take my space heater. Well, the, the problem is whether or not they can enforce it. Running an unlicensed money service business is a crime, right? That's the thing that Charlie Shrem was in jail for. That's the thing that uh, CZ recently pled guilty to, and. Even if they are not going to go out and arrest everyone running a node, if they want to get you for something, right? It's like, you know, low level marijuana being a crime. Like, there's always that opportunity. You know, you did something politically undesirable, but also you're an unlicensed money service business and that they could apply whatever pressure they want based on that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I maybe take solace in the fact that it's impossible to. There's no solace. That's not what I'm saying. You're, you're completely misunderstanding my viewpoint. Like, what you're. I get what you're saying, and that's their entire point. They want to scare the shit out of everybody, right? That's been the MO forever, and that's just not – like, as what I'm saying is peaceful civil disobedience. That's what I'm saying. Like, if millions of people basically give them the bird, which I – you know, the time is coming when people are going to have to choose. What are you going to do? Are you going to let them scare the shit out of you? Are you going to cower? Are you going to curl up in a little ball in a little fetal position under your desk and pee on yourself? We we have not seen peaceful civil uh, um, revolt since the '60s, Alex. It's not how it works anymore. It's not going to be peaceful. And and if you look at maybe maybe Bitcoiners need to change their tact. Maybe we should be pointing. If you look at Gabor Gerbach's pinned tweet. Maybe we should be pointing to since 2000 that J.P. Morgan Chase has been fined 269 times for a total of $39 billion. Maybe we should start pointing to where the real criminality in our society is. There's a whole list of them. Bank of America, $87 billion, 319 fines since 2000. I mean, what the hell? Look, man, I disagree with that. You, you say there's not been civil 
peaceful disobedience. I disagree with that. If you, <laughs> oh yeah, was was George Floyd was were those peaceful? Was was uh, was what happened in uh, I forget the name of the damn town in Ohio that started this whole thing? Was that peaceful? When's the last time you saw peaceful civil disobedience in the United States? Okay. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd look, I don't want to get into a political thing, but you sound pretty upset about this. And I'm just going to say that I, I see it all the time and I'm, I'm we're going to see, we're going to see more of it. Because I'm upset because I think people need to be upset about this. These are civil rights. This is your privacy. As Zach said, you're right. It's unenforceable on a mass scale, but it means they can cherry pick whoever they want to go after. I, you know what? I, again, I disagree with you. I don't think getting upset is necessarily the way to go. Well, I, I think if, if you don't you get want us calm, to talk about guns, Alex, when you talk about your, them coming and taking your handgun, you get upset. What do you say? You say, yeah, come now, take it. So you're, you're confusing upset with convicted. I, I think I can't cold. shoot anybody that comes into my house. If I have a minor in here, I can't, what am I going to do? Throw my minor at them? I think cold, calculated, thoughtful opposition is the way to go. Yeah, I, I also I'd love need to, to take stock of where we are in this process, right? So it, it's very early days. This is just a proposed bill. It is unfortunate that there are these new co-sponsors, especially from the banking committee. It's unfortunate it's gaining steam. But I would think the first line of defense is call your congressman, call your senator. It's actually very easy to get meetings with their staff. They have people whose job it is to take these meetings all day. You don't need to be a donor. You don't need to have voted for them. But explain to them, how does self-custody work? Why is this law unenforceable? Why is this a problem for you know, civil, civil liberties? Why is this a problem for, you know, depending on whether you're talking to someone on the left or the right, you can use talking points that speak to their political views and you know, see if you can get this bill killed before it gets up there. Then the next line of defense is we want someone in the Senate to filibuster this, right? We, there's still a legislative filibuster that will raise the ante of what it will take uh, to get this passed. So that would be the next line of defense. Then you fight in the House, right? And then, you know, the next step would be if there are parts of this that are genuinely unconstitutional, we'll challenge it in court. We'll find the least sympathetic examples of how this law can be applied. We'll say it's unconstitutionally vague. We'll say it violates the First Amendment. We'll say it violates the Fourth Amendment. And then if you want to talk about civil disobedience or stuff like that, uh, I think we get there. But I think we need to remember we do live in a country that has rules and there are opportunities to block this thing multiple times before you get to, you know, just taking personal risk and, and violating this laws. Absolutely 100%. correct, Zach. 100%. And um, I've written I've written multiple letters to my representatives, my congressional representatives, and I, there are many people in this room that have done the same, but we need everybody in this room to do it. Everybody needs to get on this train. Okay, I would like to get the perspectives of Corey Clipson and Sam Callahan on this stuff. Uh, do you gentlemen have any thoughts here, Corey? So I'm tracking it, and you know, it seems like the best signal uh, that I'm getting. Uh, the guy that is most on top of it is the uh, the Bitcoiner mole inside of Galaxy, Alex Thorne, who runs the research team over there, and he is definitely raising the alarm big time on this Warren bill. Um, I I am worried. Um, he posted here. I'll pin this tweet from uh, a couple hours ago. Uh, how can I do that? I can't because it's not my tweet. Is that true? I feel like I should be able to. No, you can. You just oh, click on the, okay. uh, the little thing on okay. the bottom right. Sorry. I haven't been doing spaces for a while. Anyway, he said that, you know, 
Obviously, many have noted that she is terrible at passing laws, but he thinks this time could be different because they already have 13 co-sponsors, including two Republicans. Uh, potent terrorism narrative post-October 7th, and that they will try to jam it into a must-pass appropriations bill. And if there's a razor-thin Republican majority in the House, I think it's only one or two seats right now, um, that makes this hard to get in front of. So, uh, it's, I mean, it's something that we're talking about daily here at SWAN, and we're using our media machine to the best of our ability to get the word out. And coordinating with uh, you know all the different groups that are that are getting letters written and things like that, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely concerning. I can tell you also the the well healed and you know well lobbied shitcoin foundations are also quite worried about this. I feel like the folks who are very in DC think that this is like this is the real deal and something we need to worry about more than Elizabeth Warren just bloviating. Sam. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I share the speaker's concerns. I mean, it basically is trying to make any kind of permissionless blockchain like Bitcoin unavailable to Americans by forcing all validators and developers of those networks to surveil their infrastructure, essentially. And it's like this bigger argument of financial surveillance and infringements of privacy. Um, I do think about you know, some of these cypherpunks like Timothy May, how technology and concrete solutions over bickering and chatter and how, or Aaron Schwartz has a good quote, the design of the software regulates behavior just as strongly as any formal law does more effectively, in fact. And so cypherpunks build and they build technology that um, circumvents some of these laws that infringe on our civil liberties and privacies. And so as a community, I think it's up to us to build solutions um, where they can't enforce it. Yeah. Kind of know the to comply with, you know. So anyway, that's that's kind of my thoughts in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, I think as a matter of resilience. You know, everybody who's involved in building on Bitcoin needs to be continuously thinking about this kind of stuff. So moving on to the next section here. The next section uh, is that it, uh, in order to address a major gap with respect to, uh, quote, unhosted, quote, digital wallets. So obviously digital wallets is on their radar. Um, going Continuing, it says, which allow individuals to bypass AML and sanctions checks by directing FinCEN to finalize and implement 2020 December 2020 proposed rule, which would require banks, money services, businesses, basically anybody who's taking U.S. dollars uh, and converting to Bitcoin, et cetera, to verify customer and counterparty identities. That already happens. However, it also says to keep records and file reports in relation to certain digital asset transactions involving unhosted wallets or wallets hosted in non-BSA compliant jurisdictions. So the concern I have with that language in particular is, is that if it's um, – that that could be like a like a not – it may not be illegal to do that now, but that, that could – many financial institutions or money services uh, businesses might consider that uh, a potential problem or, or threatening situation. 
it's not illegal to hold a private key to a text record. Yeah, it's true. But the question, you know, becomes, well, how do people convert U.S. dollars into Bitcoin um, and then get it into self-custody if self-custody is their interest? So that provision that you just read, I think the target of that specifically is DeFi, right? The very broad expansion of the BSA in this bill would make any protocol where you're able to swap things into a money service business. And then if those are interacting with like a self-custodied wallet that has tether in it, both part both parties would have obligations there. So this is meant to kill sort of peer-to-peer -peer finance. No, this affects any institution that is taking U.S. dollars who has a yeah, but but exchanges things that are currently regulated as money service business. They generally, like you said, they do that right. Coinbase is not going to let you withdraw a ton of Bitcoin into cash without KYCing you. But it is like yeah, currently, but it's the, this the is... online protocols that don't. No, this is true, right? So this is a basic thing. KYC is not new. But what this is saying is, is that to keep records and file reports in relation to digital asset transactions involving unhosted wallets. So basically, that means tell, you know, report anytime you send Bitcoin to a, a you know, a self-custody wallet, essentially. I don't know what the, I don't know what the thresholds would be, but. You'd have to look at the 2020 proposal that she's referencing there, but I think these are like SARS. These are suspicious activity reports. It wouldn't necessarily be every time you do a transaction. Like I said, I think this is really meant to like be read in conjunction with the broadened definition to get at peer-to-peer non-custodial stuff rather than it is to add specifically extra obligations for exchanges. Anybody else? Thoughts on this particular one before we move on here? All right. So next up, we've got direct FinCEN to issue guidance to financial institutions on mitigating the risks of handling, using, transacting with digital assets that have been anonymized using digital asset mixers and other anonymity-enhancing technologies. So that's not anything that's super new. Um, we'll keep moving here. Strengthen enforcement of BSA compliance by directing the Treasury Department to establish AML CFT compliance examination review processes for MSBs. It all sounds like stuff that's already happening, basically. Um, I think, but again, as with the last section, you have to read all of this with the greatly expanded definition of who is an MSB of mind, right? These things don't sound like a big deal if you think about who is currently a money service business, but the expansion of money service business to non-custodial crypto and Bitcoin setups makes all of this have much, much more teeth and be much broader. Here's, a, here's an interesting one. Extend BSA rules regarding reporting of foreign bank accounts to include digital assets by requiring United States persons, this is any U.S. person, engaged in a transaction with a value greater than 10000 in digital assets through one or more offshore, quote, offshore accounts to file a foreign bank and financial accounts, so it's a FBAR with the Internal Revenue Service. That's a little ridiculous in my opinion.
through one or more offshore accounts. In other words, if you're if you're if you do ten thousand dollars or more in a transaction of digital assets through uh, a non-U.S. service provider of some sort, I believe that that would would count in that description. Okay, and then finally, mitigate the illicit finance risks of digital asset ATMs by directing FinCEN to ensure that digital asset ATM owners and administrators regularly submit and update the physical addresses of kiosks uh, and verify customer and counterparty identity. All right, open to discussion here. Well, I'm just, you know, when you put all these up on the board and you just kind of go through them, it's, it becomes clear. It's like it's not, it's what you guys are saying. They're, they're not trying to protect anybody. It's very clear. It's just more of their control mechanisms. I think you want to look at who is co-sponsoring this bill, and I think not everyone's intentions here are the same. Uh, I think for Elizabeth Warren, this is very much a concerted effort to try and kill crypto in the United States. She thinks it is politically expedient for her to make Bitcoin and crypto the bad guy, right, to talk about this is for terrorist financing, for money laundering, for tax evasion. It's not for anything good, and we want to stamp it out. Uh, I think for some of the other co-sponsors, Probably, you know, this is getting traction because of what's happening in the Middle East and in Ukraine, uh, but they might not be ideologically committed to it in the same way she is. So I, I think, look, there is probably political room to defeat this, but like, make no mistake, this would be a complete disaster for Bitcoiners in the United States if this eventually gets passed. Good morning, Joe Carlosari. Good morning. What? are your thoughts on all of these? Um, my initial thought is that I think this has the highest probability of becoming law of any of the bills that have been proposed um, in recent years. Uh, I was talking to some folks who I trust uh, immensely on this issue, um, and they are telling me there's significant traction and momentum in favor of this bill. Um, I have doubts about it passing the House, uh, I think that's probably the best bet, and I don't have any real uh, belief in that that it, it can at this form. But I think it can pass the Senate. And I think there's enough uh, there to sort of get behind it. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was listening a little bit of what Zach was saying. I sort of concur with that fully. I don't really have much to add in, in form of that, other than you know, I think that this is definitely something that is uh, uh, onerous, and um, you know, I think people should engage in some political activism and make their voices heard. Um, it matters, especially if there's a, a vocal amount of people, you know, that are calling their senators. I mean, I already talked to my senator's office this morning about it, uh, Dick Durbin, uh, who is a sponsor of it. Um, I'm not going to get him to change his opinion, but it doesn't matter. Um, sometimes you got to make your voice heard all the same. So, uh, you know, for my purpose, I, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, at some point bills, if not this one similar will pass. Um, I don't really see a situation where it doesn't come at some point. So I, I was on Preston's show last week, and um, I, you know, it's within my mental model that you get these sort of overbroad um, bills passed at some point, and you just got to be prepared for them. It doesn't change anything about Bitcoin. I think uh, in many respects, uh, you know, there will, there will be legal challenges to it once it became, becomes law. Yep. Thank you for that input. By the way, uh, the gentleman that Corey mentioned earlier, Alex Thorne, will be joining us on Cafe Bitcoin on Thursday. And um, we will be discussing these 
things a little bit further with him as well. Dr. Jeff Ross, good morning. Morning, Alex. Morning, everybody. Hope you all are doing well. We're doing great. Did you hear the uh, earlier conversation, Jeff, what we were uh, discussing in terms of Elizabeth Warren's new proposed bill? Just caught the tail end of it and what Joe said and what Zach was saying earlier. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this, but it, it it's a pretty wide-ranging uh, thing that is um, proposing to require KYC-type stuff in a way that probably isn't really practical. I don't know how they're going to get individual miners to KYC their counterparties. Um, validators, meaning node people who are running nodes, don't know how that's going to happen. Um, I can see it on large public miners or large mining operations where it's easy to detect them. Um, but what I mean, what effect would that have really on Bitcoin? Is it going to stop it? I don't think so. But it would certainly make things difficult for uh, people in the West in some ways. Go ahead, Joe. The only thing I really want to talk about right now is that this meme that's going around, which I've seen like, you know, dozens of people post about how Elizabeth Warren hasn't gotten a lot of bills to become law is garbage. OK, stop promoting that nonsense. That That, that is, you know, th this is this has got significant support from key players beyond Elizabeth Warren. And she has made it herself a focal point of this this issue, which, you know, you, I mean, that that generally is what you want to see. You want to see significant support beyond just the individual. Plus, you want to see the person who's become like sort of the talking point out front and center leading the charge on the bill if it has a hope of getting getting through the Senate. Um, so, I, you know, the notion that, oh, well, we don't have to take this seriously because Elizabeth Warren's track record for other bills is uh, is not particularly impressive is, I think, a very uh, tenuous position. And I hope that Bitcoiners wouldn't promote that kind of narrative. Just ignore it. Um, that, I think that's a big mistake. Yeah, well said. I agree with that. Uh, Mr. Hoddle, what's up? Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to make something very clear to everybody. It is impossible for a miner or a node to KYC AML transactions. A pool can KYC their workers. Miners, the people that are point hash rate. But you cannot KYC transactions um, on the pool level or on the validating level. So it's an effective ban of Bitcoin in America because it's impossible to comply. I don't know that it's an effective ban. Just because they do it doesn't mean people are going to comply. I mean, it will make them criminals, but that doesn't mean people are, are going to comply. Well, what, what I mean by ban, ban, yeah, what I mean by ban, I mean, you, you're, if you get caught, you're going to go to court and so you're going to have to pay fines or go to jail. That's what I mean by ban. They're not going to stop Bitcoin, but they will stop you. <laughs> They'll stop people who, are, who, who don't want to necessarily face the consequences. That's who they'll stop. Yeah, there, there are it's plenty of people that are not going to stop. It's a criminal offense to run an unlicensed money services business. Like, I don't think this is something to be flip about. This is a hey, yeah. hey Zach. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm simply pointing out there are going to be a crap ton of people who do it anyway. That's all I'm saying. And it's then, not going to stop probably it. Probably a good number of those people are going to be victimized by their willingness to do that. Right? They are going to be treated like criminals and they maybe might well, you, even penalties. if it's not. But Zach, even if it's not a good number, it doesn't matter. Because the law is out there and it can be enforced in sort of an arbitrary way, like where they want to use it, they can. And that's the real hard part about it. It's the part that like this thing sits out there 
and law, you know, otherwise law abiding people will be violating the law. And then there you have selective enforcement where it's somebody that is a disfavored, you know, actor, which is the real problem. And, and, and just pushing back, you know, like the, the, the problem for this is, I think it was Mr. Hoddle was saying like, okay, you know, there's no technical way to do this. There, there absolutely is a technical way to do it. Coinbase does it every time with every single transaction, every single transaction on Coinbase is done. Uh, you, you know exactly who is sending the Bitcoin out on Coinbase and you know exactly who is receiving the Bitcoin because you have to be a KYC user on their platform. So clearly you can do it technically. Well, you could, you, I, I think what Mr. Hall was saying is <clears throat> like an individual validator, if I'm running a node at home, there's no way for me to KYC all that stuff. If I'm, if, I'm a, if I'm an individual miner running a single mining rig at home, there's no way for me to do that. So I think that's what he was saying. Yeah. And, so what, and, does it, what does it do? Functionally, de facto, it basically pushes it all towards custodians that have licenses. That's what it does. It doesn't well, ban. And, and bans individual node running. Correct. Yes. You can run a node if you have an operation, uh, if they have the proper licensure, right? Yeah, which is going to cost you a couple of million bucks and then a few hundred thousand dollars a year to maintain those licenses. Correct. Okay, so... And, so Go ahead, finish, please. No, no, that's it. Sorry, Alex. I guess my point was I'm going to push back against it in 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 the respect that there are some lines in the sand that people will just not allow. Okay, I'm going to give you specific examples so you understand where I'm coming from. And yes, you are right. It will scare the shit out of most human beings and they won't do it. But there are certain things. You know, there are times in history where governments pass laws that are not, I don't know how to say this, they're not moral, they're not just laws. And, you know, human beings at that point have a choice. Am I going to stand for this or am I not? So humans have to decide what they're going to do. I'll tell you right now that if they tried to, for example, pass something and then enforce it that said, well, we're going to come get guns, myself and millions and millions of other Americans, it would be like, okay. Let's go. And I'll tell you, the same thing is going to happen in respect to this. There are going to be a certain number of Americans, people in the West, that if they make it illegal, they're just going to do it. And it's like, if you're coming for it, then come for it. But that's not yeah. going to stop them. That's true, Alex. But you got to remember that the first, the primary reason we all talk about this, that people come to Bitcoin is number go up technology. So if they can do that in a way where you have a custodian, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff, you can buy it through an ETF, you can buy it on Coinbase, don't have to transfer it, don't have to put it in a hardware wallet, you have very low risk you know, uh, tolerance doing that, and you can still benefit 95% of the price appreciation, I would say the majority of you know regular people are going to say, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. Well, but also, with regard to number yeah, well, go up, the fundamentals of Bitcoin depend in part on the decentralization of who is running nodes and the ability to self-custody, right? And have tools to effectively self-custody that are cheap and, right, making it like a crime to run a node in the United States or, you know, making it a crime for companies to create software for self-custody that doesn't KYC you, that could really undermine some of what makes Bitcoin powerful. I don't agree with that because the game theory basically says that that will eliminate citizens of the United States. The rest of the world's going to keep doing it. Okay, but so, that's bad for Bitcoin to eliminate the United States. I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm saying, you know, it could it could even set, you know, Bitcoin back substantially, but it's not going to kill it. It's not going to stop it. Mandibles. Yeah. <laughs>
I'll, I'll throw in the Odell line. That that just sounds like we're on the path to mandibles. You know, Al, your your comment once again about the Second Amendment and your right to bear arms does not sound like does not sound very peaceful. But but I also want to say that you know Joe is right. I mean, they have unlimited resources, Alex. They can come after whomever they want, and the, you also talk about this all the time. You talk about the ratchet effect, how they ratchet stuff up and then they back off. They ratchet it up, they back it off. It's the same with bad laws. When they're able to enact a bad law, it sits there. It takes a long time to get a bad law back off the books. And in the meantime, they have continued to ratchet it up. They have continued to um, uh, desensitize the population to this overreach and and this this these unconstitutional kinds of of impingements on our rights and what happens yeah the law goes away after three or five years or however long it takes to filter its way through the court system which is we know is slow the problem is the damage has already been done yeah so I, I got to jump but I, I just want to share with folks that whether it's this bill or some other bill in the future, just keep in mind there will be negative litigation or excuse me, legislation that is passed. It will come. There's there's almost no doubt that you can't get to be this big uh, without some onerous legislation being passed. It's just it's just a reality. And that, that that doesn't mean that you know Bitcoin's dead or it's it's over. It just means that you have to fight this in other ways. You have to fight it legislatively, you have to fight it through the judiciary, you have to fight it if you, there is a groundswell of support that opposes it. So that's the key thing to take away. Nothing more than that. Don't overreact. Don't freak out. It's it's definitely not something to just push off as meaningless or insignificant and Bitcoin doesn't care. That that's silly. And uh Bitcoin Bitcoiners should uh should, should fight against it. Anyway, take care. Yep. I actually totally agree with all of that. I also think like if we're going to have a constituency for fighting back against this, even if it passes in order to get it repealed, you need popular support behind getting rid of it. Uh, the tact you take there, I think it would be more powerful to describe why this is nonsensical, why this is bad policy than to jump right to the civil disobedience tact. Because if you do the latter, it's very easy to paint you as, oh, these are like nuts that, you know, they're super libertarian, they're anarchists, they don't care about the United States. They'd rather their you know number go up than national security. And like outside of Elizabeth Warren, who I think is a bad actor here and understands what she's doing and is has a vendetta against Bitcoin and crypto, I think most of the other people who are necessary to get these laws passed and enforced don't really understand and don't really care. It's much easier to win them over and defeat this by just explaining what this bill will practically do explaining why it's likely not to be enforceable, why if you wanted to enforce it, it would end up requiring some sort of Orwellian level of surveillance that's not consistent with American values, why this makes America less competitive in the global economy, and why this undermines you know, civil rights and the ability for people around the world to self-custody assets that make them freer and in ways that are positive for American interests. That, I think, is going to be much more effective than, you know, I'm going to shoot you if you come into my house and take my note. I think maybe you misunderstood me. I never suggested I would shoot anybody no, no, at I, any look, time. That, that last bit, I'm not <laughs> saying you directly said that, but I'm just trying to like directionally here. Like, I think the way we win is to, like people don't understand stuff, right? 
I'm sure half of the people who are even co-sponsoring this bill couldn't give you a coherent answer to what an unhosted wallet actually means. And so I think like education here will go a long way. Like this is an absurd like bill, right? And I think it's actually not that hard to explain why it's absurd. Uh, but I think that is a better tack than going right to we're not going to follow the law. Like th there are many steps between here and there. Totally agree. And I don't disagree with that. I was simply saying that in the eventuality that they do get it passed, uh, there is always that. That's all I was going to say. From a moral perspective, just standing up for doing what you believe is right in the face of immoral uh, legislation. Go ahead, Bill Stebbins. Yeah, I appreciate all the comments that we're hearing and, and, and the passions here. It, it reminds me of my time in Iraq and Afghanistan and reflecting on this. Look, this is war. In, in war, we have to expect some very, uh, very powerful strikes against us, uh, powerful tactics. Iraq and Afghanistan, 20 years, over 20 years, we had the, the power, the might of the entire United States military complex financing technology. Over 20 years, we still could not win in those campaigns. And we were fighting against a decentralized enemy. It sounds very familiar to this. And so even though uh, the might of the U.S. government seems very formidable, yet what I would just encourage us all with is, you know, we're fighting from a position of strength because this is not North Korea. This is not China. Is is decalcified as we want to think the Constitution might be, yet the government still has to fight its way through the Constitution and the legal system. They can't just by fiat outlaw everything overnight just like this. They have to fight as, as well as we do. They have a lot of hurdles. They don't have a free hand. And so this is warfare. And warfare, in my opinion, and in years of teaching strategy and tactics, it, it, it's not brilliant maneuver on the battle space that suddenly it's a coup de grace and you've won the war. War is attrition, which means it's long, it's extended, and we just have to keep breathing deep and realize it's a marathon, rely on each other, encourage, motivate each other, and take what the enemy throws at us, counter-innovate, and stay in there for the long fight. Well said. Any thoughts from Mickey or Terrence on any of this? By the way, Zach, I want to point out that everything you said before, I agree with as well. I think you're correct. I think that the the best way to counter this is do what you said. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. Mickey, Terrence, anything? Yeah, I don't know. It just it seems like all of this is is just wildly unconstitutional and it just it just makes me furious. I don't know. I, I can't I can't speak to specifics just yet. Maybe for the next like ten days or so. But yeah, it's it's very disheartening watching stuff like this play out. The only thing I'd add is um I think um I don't think that they care they care, but not that much, just like in Iraq and Afghanistan, those are a little bit half-assed wars uh, of choice. I think was speaking before about warfare and tactics. I think one of the very applicable, you know, if you think about the famous Sun Tzu quote about building your enemy as a golden bridge to retreat over, 
I think that is a really important part of the messaging here, right? To like give some conciliatory note about, listen, we do care about money laundering. We do care about, you know, stopping criminals, uh, but this is not the way to do it, right? And having some sort of alternative policy here, what does like reasonable regulation look like in this space? And it's not this, uh, rather than just sort of a super hardcore, like this should be completely unregulated. Like I just like, even if you feel that way, and I have a lot of sympathy for that, I don't know that that is going to win out. There's also like, in addition to this Elizabeth Warren bill, which is a straight up disaster, there's the FinCEN proposal about convertible virtual currency mixers. And, you know, I'm working with BPI to come up to our response to that right now. And, you know, I think the biggest problem with that is not that, like, look, the things that are actual, like, custodial mixers, if you go on the dark web, the truth is those are mostly used by criminals, right? But the problem with the legislation is it, it doesn't just address those. It probably reaches, you know, coin joins, the Lightning Network, uh, arguably even just wallets that create a new receive address every time you use them. And again, I think like the messaging there is like, look, I understand what you guys are trying to do, but this definition is is overly broad and it's going to capture a lot of legitimate activity. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the other yeah, thing to keep I in mind like, here is, yeah. I like that angle actually better because um, I don't think, you know, to assume that the people who are using mixers for privacy are probably doing, you know, they're probably criminals or doing something illicit. I don't, I don't think that's correct. I know a lot of people that use mixers that are not criminals. Like custodial <laughs> so, mixers? Uh, well, yeah, like, you know. Like half of those are FBI honeypots anyway. Yeah. Are they? Oh, yeah. Like if you've ever used, like, you know. When you say going, half of them, which one of those would you say are, are FBI honeypots? I mean, I, I think the, those, it's not public which are which, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't know which ones. But I think that like in the demographics of who is using a custodial mixer that you can link to on the dark web versus who's getting privacy from coin joins or, you know, other non-custodial techniques. I think the latter is something that is probably more important for us to protect, right? There's more like legitimate actors who are using those that are using the custodial mixers. Okay. I, I maybe I'm misunderstanding. And, I maybe I'm misunderstanding. Cash the, registers all the time. Sorry, Alex, I use cash machines and cash registers all the time and it's not an issue, is it? Okay. Maybe, Maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying, Zach. What do you mean when you say custodial mixer? Are you talking about Whirlpool, CoinJoin, I'm, Join I'm Market? I'm not talking about CoinJoins. I'm talking about services that will take your Bitcoin and give you other Bitcoin, many of which are associated with dark web markets. Like there's a different, um, I think a mixer is different than a CoinJoin. Like a mixer, as that term is like, I think mostly used in Bitcoin refers to a custodial service that is meant to obscure your trail versus a coin join, which is a collaborative transaction between users who retain their private keys to try and enhance privacy. And I think from like a, you know, policy standpoint, coin joins are like I'm working on what is the what is the distinction we want to draw and bring out to show regulators and legislators why like one is more threatening than the other. But I think like from a policy perspective, you know, just speaking for myself at this point, like I think a reasonable place to draw the line for regulation is to have as light a touch possible on non-custodial tools. I think that like we're probably going to lose the battle with regard to custodial products. But but Zach, why why they don't do this with gold? 
I mean, I can go and take my gold and I can exchange it anywhere I want as many times as I want. What, what yeah. is the difference? Property. Yeah. So uh, look, I, I think that is the correct analogy and they don't do that with cash either, but they do do that with gold and cash. If you're in some jurisdiction or some bank that is known to be used a ton for money laundering. And I do think that the truth is there is a class of custodial mixer that are created by foreign actors that are created by criminal organizations. And I think that, and that like most Bitcoiners do not use, like, I don't know many people who use these things. I don't think I know any people who use these things like in real life for legitimate purposes. And if they want to go after, oh, there is this, you know, Russian custodial mixer that's associated with the, the Hydra marketplace. Like, I think that's less of a big deal. Whereas the, you know, if we want to defend things like CoinJoin, I think the analogy to a cash register, to an ATM, you know, to a bunch of people putting dollar bills in a fishbowl and mixing them around like that, that I think is, is totally appropriate. Um, but I, I just think that like the line here between custodial and non-custodial is more defensible than a super hard line libertarian approach. I'd still like to know more about this comment that you made that half of um, these things are spooks or honeypots. What makes you think that, or do you have any proof or evidence well, lot, of that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen some of these announced, right? There have been large-scale bus or you know, bus of dark web marketplaces, bus of uh, like child pornography rings, where the way they caught these people is that the government was running a custodial mixing service. Again, this but is what, different than CoinJoin, right? Which is people using code to coordinate a a collaborative transaction to enhance privacy. This is like literally a service where someone is accepting Bitcoin from one address and then giving it to another. Okay, that that helps. That that clarifies things for me because uh, I, I don't think like Whirlpool or you know Wasabi or you know any of these like CoinJoin services are likely honeypots. But like what I'm thinking of in particular, if you like go on tour and you go on the dark web and you do like, you know, one of those dark web wikis, half of the links there are quote unquote Bitcoin mixing services. Those, like if you're a criminal, it's a really bad idea to use those because they may well be government honeypots. Makes sense. All right, while we have a little bit of a pause here, I'm just going to get one of these housekeeping items out of the way real quick. There's a, <clears throat> there's a hack I was talking about yesterday in terms of how to get extremely cheap tickets for Pacific Bitcoin right now. Uh, if you buy tickets using Bitcoin, you get a 21% discount. You can use a discount code on top of that. So <clears throat> you could use promo code CAFE which I believe will give you a 20% discount. And if you're buying in Bitcoin, that will give you an additional 21% discount. So this is a huge hack right now. I don't know how long that's going to last. I'm not sure if they even meant to do that, but uh, that's the way it works right now. So um, I encourage you guys to take advantage of that while you can. All right, Zach, any other thoughts in regards to these things we're talking about? Anything you want to talk about in terms of Bitcoin Policy Institute that you guys are working on? Um, I guess nothing really other than to say get excited for the Bitcoin Policy Summit in April. That's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, and I think the whole thing will be live streamed. 
um, but uh, bring together lots of excellent speakers. And I think this is really important. You know, all the stuff we were talking about with the FinCEN proposal, with the Elizabeth Warren bill, our first line of defense is on the policy side and on the legislative side before we have to rely on the courts and before we have to rely on individual action and certainly civil disobedience. Let's see, you know, how we can use the levers of power. Uh, and I think the great thing about BPI and what David Zell built here is that it is a distinctly Bitcoin voice, right? On some things like this Elizabeth Warren bill, we're going to have help from the shitcoin companies and VCs because our interests are aligned here and they have a lot of money to throw at lobbying, you know, and the exchanges have a lot of money to throw at lobbying and they're pretty good at it. But there are some areas like proof of work where our interests are not aligned and you know, the well-heeled VCs are happy to throw shade at proof of work to make their whatever coin on their whatever consensus mechanism seem, uh, you know, like it should be worth more. Uh, and so definitely, you know, I think it's an organization worth supporting. Uh, and it's sort of the best voice that, that Bitcoin specifically has in, in DC. How do people help? Uh, you could donate. You could reach out to uh, David Zell. I'm sure they can use uh, help coordinating talking to lawmakers. One of the things that like people don't realize, I, I think I mentioned this before, but it's actually pretty easy to get a meeting with a member of staff, your local congressman or senator. And that is sort of some of the best way you can help Bitcoin policy is just to educate people on how things actually work and what their constituents actually care about here. Uh, and I think if you were to reach out to BPI, they can help you think about what talking points are likely to be more effective than others. All right. Anything else anybody wants to hit in regards to these uh, topics we've been discussing so far today? Yes. Write your call, your contact, your representatives in Congress and tell them to vote against these things. It matters and it makes a difference. Yeah, ideally call rather than write. And if you can meet with them in person even better. That's definitely a bigger commitment for people. But the way a lot of these offices work, even regardless of what you say to them, there are staffers who keep a tally vote of the number of calls they get for versus against. And so even just having your voice heard, if you're able to sort of swamp the against on these things, that really does go a long way. And that really does make a difference. All righty then. Very good. Moving on. Uh, by the way, Zach, for, thanks for stopping in today to discuss this with us. It was uh, really great hearing from you on all these things. Yep. Uh, okay. Next news topic that's up. El Salvador's Bitcoin bond gets regulatory approval. They're targeting a Q1 launch. Uh, so that's interesting. I'm not sure how many people believe they would actually get this thing off the ground, but it looks like it's it's happened. Um, the Volcano Bond was approved by El Salvador's Digital Assets Commission. They're anticipated to launch first quarter 2024, um, according to a statement from the National Bitcoin Office, which um, I believe Max Kaiser is also involved in. I'm curious about uh, what kind of issuance they're going to get or how much subscription they're going to get, I should say, to this thing.
Volcano bond is intended to pay down sovereign debt, fund the construction of the country's proposed Bitcoin city. They've also recently launched a 241 megawatt Bitcoin mining project worth $1 billion, apparently, to tap into the country's volcanic resources with Luxor technology. Sounds ambitious. 241 megawatts. That's not a small facility. All right, we got about 10 minutes here before we have Dean Walsh and Steve Uller with Orange Bridge joining us. We're going to be talking about what those guys are working on in real estate in Bitcoin. Uh, so open floor, what do you guys want to discuss for the next 10? Yeah, I was just going to say not to go back to all the other things, but... Um, you know, I'm working on some stuff right now and some outreach and, and letters and stuff. But again, it, it's time to work, I think. I think my message to everyone in the audience, um, I think Alex brings up a good point about being cool, calm, and collected. And Peter brings up a good point about this, you know, don't glance over what's happening right now. There's a lot of fronts from FinCEN to, uh, you know, Warren's bill. It is not a coincidence. It's time to work. It's proof of work time. You can help your actions matter and just outreach like uh, it has it has value. It may seem like at times like, you know, this system is rigged, but but the outreach has value. Um, you we all know people who are in different parts of, of society, whether it's, you know, you all know my background in labor unions or folks that work as staffers or people that work across a broad range of industries, if they're into Bitcoin and, and they like their self-custody and they like the pace of adoption right now, um, you know, have them, have them reach out, have them do a little something. So one thing, that we should probably talk a little bit about too is so there's probably people who are worried right now that if they already have Bitcoin, will they be able to transact it? Stuff like that. And I will point out, we do not want a bill like this to pass, right? We want to do everything we possibly can to stop it. But again, even if it passed in the form that they're trying to create, it would suck for people in the West. It would suck for in terms of trying to create, uh, convert U.S. dollars into Bitcoin, it would suck in terms of um, essentially criminalizing lots of activity. Uh, could you still process a Bitcoin transaction? I think the answer to that is yes. Um, if you've already got Bitcoin in self-custody, could you keep it in self-custody? Could you create a transaction and send it? I think yes. Um, it won't, it won't stop it. It just starts to create complications uh, around it. Go ahead, Peter. I, I just want to say that um, thank you, Bitcoin. Uh, yesterday, I invested in a, uh, a Bitcoin company, and I was able to move a significant amount of value in about, I think, from, from start to finish of opening up my cold card to assign the transaction. It took about 15 minutes until the first 
um, confirmation was uh, was given on this. And that would have been, I don't know how many hours I would have spent. I don't know how much time I would have spent had I gone through the traditional rails to do the same thing. And I just want to say uh, thank you to the protocol. Thank you to all of the people that have enabled this for me. I'm privileged to be part of um, this protocol and to be able to use it to my benefit. There's one other thing worth saying uh, is that Bitcoin is and, and crypto is not the only area we're seeing these, you know, government overreach surveillance pushes. Um, the update to the Patriot Act has all sorts of ways the government can spy on you without a warrant. If you look at like uh, Ron Wyden's Twitter account, that's a really good source for information on that. There's also this. Um, is that bill. Act just yeah. to, you know, you're talking about the USA Freedom Act, correct? Yeah. And then there's also this Corporate Transparency Act that's going to essentially ban anonymous shell companies uh, between January 1st, 2024 and, and January 1st, 2025. Uh, basically, all beneficial owners of business entities like LLCs and corporations are going to have to be doxxed to a private database in the U.S. government uh, so they can see who owns what companies that are, that are doing business and so you can't use at least with regard to the federal government, you can't use shell entities for privacy anymore. And look, we're coming into an age where more and more stuff is done electronically, it's done online, and the surveillance infrastructure is being built around that. And so, you know, I think one of the things that we've talked about a lot here is how do you talk to policymakers and, and legislators and, and regulators to try and shape more reasonable policy. Uh, the other thing we can do though, is develop tools that, you know, like Bitcoin that are decentralized, that are not as easily co-optable here. Um, but I, I think the next decade, we're going to see a big fight between very sort of centralized, convenient, but surveilled ways of doing things, whether that's in AI or money moving around or, you know, all, all the ways we interact with the internet. Uh, but then there will also be decentralized permissionless versions of things where people will be able to, at least technically, if not legally, get more privacy. And if you're someone who has the, you know, a skill set or capability to work in that more sort of decentralized open source version of the internet uh, and create tools that will allow privacy and, and sovereignty in a way that uh, the sort of big tech companies and regulated entities won't, uh, I think that's a really good use of time and effort. BJ, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, everybody. I don't, I don't want to disrupt the flow. You guys are doing well. But, uh, you know, it's also interesting about you know, the opaqueness of shell companies. Guess who uses them all like crazy? Politicians and lobbyists. And maybe that's why of the 305 bills Elizabeth Warren has tabled, not one of them has become law. So I don't know why she's even there. I'm with Lepard. We're going to help people in Massachusetts unseat her and get rid of her. You know, you weren't here for it a little earlier, BJ, but um, Joe was in here talking about how uh, of all the different legislation that's been proposed, even though she hasn't gotten any through um, to to take this one seriously because he thinks that there's a chance that it could it could become law. Uh, and then we just spent the last, um, I don't know, maybe hour talking about all the various different ways to oppose this to make sure that that doesn't actually happen. So, um, 
No, yeah, and I, I, th- I take your point. Yeah, for sure. Listen, every time something comes up, you have to take it seriously. You know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. But at the same time, uh, at least I know the we always talk about incentives. And there is an incentive of maintaining uh, some opaqueness for the political class because that's how they operate. And sometimes it's even legitimate. Sometimes it's not even about corruption. Sometimes certain people need to be protected uh, adjacent to politics and whatnot. And I just, um, I don't know. I don't see it. I see it as the political class would be shooting themselves in the foot. But you never know. You never know. And yeah, you do have to take it seriously. I agree 100%. Going back to an earlier topic from today, this is something interesting that just came up. Uh, we had nuclear Bitcoiner on here this morning, but apparently Microsoft is betting that nuclear power can help, quote, sate its massive electricity needs as it ventures further into artificial intelligence and supercomputing. That's interesting. Uh, this is something that Corey just tweeted out. If AI needs nuclear to scale, watch for a massive reduction in regulatory red tape and costs. That's very positive. I'm a big fan of nuclear. Not necessarily a big fan of Microsoft. (laughs) Well, also we have, uh, what's at stage four? Nuclear, which is thorium. So it doesn't actually use uh, uranium in the same way, which is kind of how we know certain countries that say they want nuclear technology, but they're not going to use it for nefarious purposes. But for some reason, our interest, aren't interested in thorium. We know something's up. But uh, yeah. Well, so what's the difference? What's the difference? I'm not familiar with that. Uh, how, how do, we need nuclear Bitcoin right now to explain it. Uh, there's, I can send you some videos that explain a little bit more detail. So but basically, thor- it basically, thorium is not fissile material, or what's the difference? Yeah, it doesn't have a byproduct of nuclear waste. So the nuclear waste can be burned. And the big problem with the nuclear waste uh, in the old system, apparently, is uranium. But that's no longer part of the process. And if I say anything more, I'm going to say the wrong thing. But I'll see what I can find for you. Cool. I'm just searching for a link right now for you. No worries. I just had a complete computer reboot. Bringing up Terrence, bringing up Ant. Terrence, you were trying to say something earlier today, um, but I don't think um, that other gentleman could hear you when you were saying it. Did you have a thought on today's topics? Uh, No, nothing to add. I, I think you guys all covered it. Great discussion. 
By the way, Terrence, thank you for posting that uh, email that you did that alerted me to this 702 prop, uh, legislation, whatever the hell it is that they're doing. Welcome. There was something else uh, in regards to Binance that happened recently. I don't know if you guys know anything about this, but apparently um, there's been newly unsealed DOJ filings. One uh, person was saying that could mean the end of Binance. I'm not sure if that's a thing, but also, the SEC has filed a supplemental pleading against Binance, strengthening the original lawsuit, I guess. <clears throat> so there's been a flurry of newly released Binance-related filings made by the Department of Justice, which has shined um, a light, so to speak, on the extensive, quote, robust and vigorous oversight that the DOJ now enjoys over Binance. The person that they've got in charge over there, and um, I guess on the the guy who's in charge of finance over there, he's someone that that's been appointed, is it not? I believe it is. But it definitely, if it, that is the case, uh, gives these entities quite a bit of insight into what's going on over at finance. one of the big precursor requirements i think before they could uh before the sec was going to approve these etfs which appears uh as we said many times it appears imminent Can y'all hear me? Yep. We got you loud and clear, man. Okay. I've been having terrible uh, router issues, and then just now I thought I lost the room. I think the space has been acting a little weird today. I think some people have been unable to hear others and things like that. Happens on occasion. I, I wonder what the <laughs> how they manage those rooms. Some of these rooms get up to you know hundreds of thousands of people. It's like wow. Yeah, I remember we used to joke around back in the day that like anytime you would say anything like super controversial or against the the serpents that they would cut the line. Mm -hmm. As it turns out, that was just my crappy phone. <laughs> or so you think. <laughs> or so I think. Yeah. Say good morning and welcome up to Steve Uller. Good morning, man. Morning. How are you doing, Alex? Doing excellent. Thanks for joining us. Steve is with Orange Bridge. And I believe we've also got Dean Welsh coming. We'll be diving in with you guys here shortly about the kind of stuff you're working on. Awesome. Nuclear, welcome back up.
BJ just messaged me that you guys were talking about thorium, so you needed some, you just needed some backup. And I agree, thorium is great, but its supply chain is a little bit more complicated because it's not naturally fissile, so it needs a slightly different supply chain than uranium. The reason we use uranium is because it is immensely abundant and it does come with the isotope that we need. It just needs to be enriched to the right percentage to be useful. But uh, yeah, thorium is going to be great. And like, if you go through like the whole bottom end of the periodic table, where you've got like thorium, uh, uranium, neptunium, plutonium, americium, curium, like a lot of these other elements are fissile in varying degrees. So that's they do get used in in the recycled fuel. So and there's research going on massively. Uh, for alternative nuclear fuels for, for the fission process. Like, I think five countries, Canada, US, UK, France, and Japan, just signed on at the COP conference to put like a $4.2 billion fund together to spur on innovation and development in the uh, fuel development infrastructure, infrastructure as Russia has now been isolated and their resources are no longer available to the West. So alternatives must be found. And like, yeah, but... Early on, I didn't get an opportunity to talk about any of the awesome nuclear stuff coming out at the, from the COP conference because, like, there's 22 or 23 countries that signed on to triple global nuclear capacity. One of those countries was Ghana, which was where I was at at the time, actually presenting on the idea of bringing nuclear power into Ghana and doing something beyond more than just importing reactors, but like becoming a hub to manufacture them and then further export them further south and then further inland. Uh, like Uganda was saying something about they want 24 gigawatts of nuclear power with by 2040, which is an insane, uh, ambitious plan. And if they can even pull off a fraction of that, they do an amazing job because that is like four times what the UAE just built. And then the UAE has said they want to triple what they just built. Japan wants to get their fleet back online and build triple what they've already got. Places throughout the Middle East that that are near the UAE, they very much want to get into nuclear power because now they're seeing that the UAE has their power needs met, so now they're being able to export even more oil and gas to uh, like international markets and very, very good for their economy. And then, as many of you are probably aware, they have a coalition with a sovereign wealth fund from Abu Dhabi that is financing in partnership with uh, Marathon Digital Holdings to build a gigantic Bitcoin mining facility that will be using predominantly that power that's coming from their new nuclear reactors. Like Poland is gung-ho. They're courting the South Koreans uh, that just built those reactors in the UAE. They're courting Westinghouse to build reactors for them. They're looking into small modular reactors. And then in the meantime, all these countries throughout Europe, throughout throughout the whole world, they're going gung-ho for nuclear. And then Germany is just the fly in the ointment that's trying to sabotage the whole thing. Because they That's are wild. on some strange ideological crusade to uh, prevent if they, everyone else from having nuclear power. And I'm like, if you guys don't want it, that's fine. You can do whatever you want and have fun staying poor. But stop imposing these insane ideas upon the rest of the world. Because Now, one quick question for Everyone you. else wants to be 100% sure of their energy sovereignty. And they want nothing to do with what Germany is doing. But yeah, I think that's good enough for a rant one for quick- now. One quick question for you, Nuclear. If you don't mind, could you send me any uh, links or info you've got? I'm curious about which countries are participating in that uh, agreement that they want to triple, triple global nuclear capacity. That's that's really interesting to me. All right, so thanks for that update, Nuclear. We're going to move on now. Uh, I want to welcome Am I just Dean. not hearing Alex, or is it silence? Yeah, it's uh, Alex was speaking. 
Okay, I want to welcome up Dean uh, Welsh and Steve Uller. Yeah, I'm going to come back and come back in because I can't hear anybody. <laughs> yeah, I think you need to reset. Welcome, Dean. Good morning. Steve, Good morning, Alex. Hi. Morning, Alex. All right, so uh, if you gentlemen don't mind, if you want to tell us a little bit about Orange Bridge, what are you guys doing? Uh, why are you doing it? And uh, curious to, to know more. Um, well, Orange Bridge was um, kind of birthed from the idea of bridging real estate and Bitcoin. Uh, Dean and I both have about 25 years of experience in the real estate industry in a myriad of ways from investing to brokerage to luxury auction um, a lot of different um, flavors of it. And ironically, I, mean, I was first exposed to Bitcoin in 2015, thought it was kind of cool, didn't get it. And then really 2020 was my uh, light bulb moment. Um, Dean and I have been business partners and good friends for over a decade. And we didn't have a lot of communication that year just because all the COVID um, bullshit. And um, we felt like once we kind of reconnected when things started opening up a little bit, we realized we had both gone down the same um, rabbit hole and came out hardcore Bitcoiners. So we've been, you know, I'd say class of 2020, we've been um, on the mission. Uh, we've been listening to you for a couple of years, um, very big fans of Swan and others. And so what we started to, to do is to say, you know, we're starting to see this, this convergence, if you will. It's almost like I believe that all industries are going to be absorbed by Bitcoin in some capacity. I don't know exactly how, but I'm looking at, you know, my expertise is in real estate, real estate finance. And I had a, um, 10 years in tech prior to that in terms of building out like global fiber optic networks. And what I realized is in the late 90s, I was deep in the tech world and I missed a lot of it, meaning like, I wish I had the foresight. I mean, I actually was, Google was a client of mine. I wish I had the foresight to see what the internet was going to be um, the way someone like a Michael Saylor did. And it was really like, I'm not going to miss this technological revolution the second time around. And so Dean and I started to brainstorm ways that we saw Bitcoin and real estate converging. And one of the first products, and I don't want to get too deep in this because it's still in development, but was... How do we, you know, we're, we're very equity rich in our homes, as many people are. How do we convert a small portion of uh, real estate equity, home equity into Bitcoin? So we're still deep into the production of that. And that will be hopefully launched in Q1, but that's or Q1 of 2024. But, you know, there is a lot of regulation around those types of products. Um, so we looked at other products and services that real estate and Bitcoin kind of converge and and we came up with with several other things. We've partnered with title and escrow companies that are also um, Bitcoiners. What we ultimately um, have kind of what we're what we've been working on the most in the last six to eight months is a is a real estate designation. So um, I own a brokerage. I'm very connected to lots of real estate agents. Um, there's several dozen. Um, different types of accreditations that real estate agents can get to kind of spotlight their expertise in a certain category of real estate, you know, like a senior specialist or, um, you know, there's all sorts of them. And there's actually a couple that are um, 
crypto related, which um, I, I I think are um, kind of hypey and not very useful. So we decided to come up with a what we call an accredited Bitcoin real estate specialist designation. So that's where a lot of our focus has been on. And really our audience for that is licensed agents. Um, and one thing uh, that we really wanted to focus on was how can we allow agents to increase their business? Because all real estate agents want to close more deals and they want to make more commission. And so what this designation was designed as is a is a tool for them to really be able to dif- differentiate themselves by getting a proper Bitcoin education. So when an agent takes this course, it's about a 12-hour course that they take online, they're going to get a very deep Bitcoin-only focused um, education, but they're also going to get um, several of the modules really discuss specifically how real estate and Bitcoin are integrated and, and what the future holds for Bitcoin and real estate. And on the back end, what's going to happen is, you know, these agents are going to go in looking to get this designation, you know, for selfish reasons, which is great, which is to make more money and earn more commissions. But on the back end, they're going to come out orange-pilled. But the other thing that we're going to do as part of the course is we have what's called an agent toolkit. And so we're going to be providing these agents a lot of follow-up, a lot of deliverables that they can insert immediately into their real estate business. And, you know, we have a custom agent spotlight video, which basically highlights the agent in a third-party way and then also describes why the accredited Bitcoin real estate specialist designation makes them stand out. Um, Real estate agents really, a lot of them are, you know, they're all saying the same thing. They're all doing the same thing. They're all saying they're the best for whatever reason. And it's kind of, uh, you know, that the pitch is often, you know, falls on deaf ears because they're all saying the same thing. What, what I found in my career, I, um, you know, 15 years ago started a luxury auction division and that immediately differentiated me and it, and it took off and I was hired by the, you know, like city of Del Mar. I, um, sold a, you know, $4 million piece of property to Carson Palmer, the quarterback of, uh, at the time, the Cardinals, um, but it really, what it did is it separated me from all these other agents in that I had this moniker now of, oh, he's the luxury auction specialist. And what we're wanting to do with these agents is say, you're the Bitcoin specialist. And actually, Dean and I both just sold homes in Southern California um, for, you know, combined over $5 million. And both of us took a similar strategy in that we advertise that we will accept Bitcoin did we expect the buyer to come in and pay in Bitcoin? No, that's probably a one in several hundred chance that that would have happened. But what did happen is it made our listings stand out. And we both had very successful sales, very quick, you know, above list price type situations. And, you know, one of the agents, like the agent that sold Dean's house works for me, he, um, you know, he got a lot of conversation after the fact, you know, opened a lot of doors. It's, you know, it, it's like, what, what is that all about? And so when you can give an agent a tool to make them differentiate themselves, um, that's going to help them stand out among the crowd. What, one thing we've seen in real estate over, you know, the last 20 years, it, some of this feels like yesterday to me. I mean, when I started, you had to go, if you wanted to buy a home, you literally went into a real estate office, sat down with an agent, 
they had a something that looked like a phone book that was the printed listings and they kind of kept it close to their vest because they it was like that was the secret information of the homes that were on the market. And slowly we moved from that, obviously, the internet then put we had online listings. We went from faxing um contracts, we went from physically having to take you know, printed contracts to be signed and literally have to drive them around town to get signatures on all of them to being able to fax them and then being able to email them and then be able to have digital signatures. Um, And what I've witnessed firsthand is the agents that embrace the technology have excelled far beyond the agents that don't. And we think that Bitcoin and the integration of Bitcoin and the knowledge of Bitcoin is going to be fundamental for the next wave of agents to really flourish and stand out. You know, we see this massive generational wealth transfer that's about to happen from the millennials and the boomers. I mean, you know, 40 to $80 trillion of wealth transfer. So we're also looking at this next generation that kind of feels shut out from the, the real estate market. And, you know, we're looking at a lot of the younger agents that are more inclined to adopt new technology. And we're looking at the next generation of home buyers that are already adopting this technology. And so what we're trying to do is, you know, immerse these real estate professionals in in a proper education of the technology and how to specifically incorporate it into their business model. All right. Uh, anything to add, Dean? No, I think Steve um, summed it up really well. But, you know, I think what we see in front of us is this transform- transformation in the industry that's going to happen. It's not if, but when. And, you know, like Steve, I was in financial services back in the 90s. And I actually, when I started Shearson Lehman Hutton, we actually had, you know, a Quotron and a squawk box on my desk and squawk box was an actual thing. And within five years, the business completely changed. Not only did the business change, but margins got compressed. The, the business became much more difficult because of you know the advent of the internet and online trading. And we see the exact same thing with real estate that's gonna happen because of Bitcoin. And so what we're trying to do is two things is, is get agents to be on the front of that curve, be ahead of it, so they'll capture more business. And at the same time, we're orange pilling them and and they become part of the army. So it's really a fantastic way to go about and really, you know, do the right thing, help people build their business in the right way. Okay, I'm going to ask one follow-up question here and we'll go with Peter. We'll open it up as well for further questions and stuff from the audience and the panel. Uh, why are, so why are you guys doing it? What drives you here? Um, I'll take that. There, it's similar to the mission of a Swan and other Bitcoin companies. One, I, I believe that the more um, properly educated Bitcoiners that there are across industries is beneficial for society. Um, I also feel like, you know, we see in the, you know, like Bitcoin Twitter is a good example. A lot of times we're all speaking to, we're kind of like in this black hole of preaching to the choir. What we're trying to do is go out and, you know, into what I'd call normie industries and start to evangelize why Bitcoin 
is inevitable, why it's important, and, and how it can actually improve their existing business. Um, you know, obviously, we want to feed our families, and this is a business where, you know, there's a, a fee involved, but we're providing a whole lot of back-end. You know, what we're trying to do is help people make more money through this. So, um, but really, it's it's about expanding Bitcoin adoption across industries, and we're actually looking at you know, as you know, real estate's a first industry, but we've also explored a similar type of process in insurance and in, in uh, legal and some other industries that we think are underserved and under knowledgeable about Bitcoin and how it can actually improve their their existing business. Peter, you got a question? Yeah. Do you do you see in the future your your business kind of? Um, creating its own demise as as bitcoin starts to suck the premium out of real estate or or how do you how do you see that going forward and that's that's a ways down the road i understand um not really i mean i and i do agree with there's you know i've i've very well versed in the hundreds of tweets that I've seen about like you know bitcoin you know we actually have some of that in terms of the monetization of bitcoin and how much a house costs in bitcoin and we you know there's it's kind of a double-edged sword for us because once again our target audience for this uh, credential is real estate agents and we don't want to start with saying hey you know the industry is going to implode because everything's going to be demonetized in because of bitcoin but there is a, a reality of that as well um i think what what's more important though is would you rather understand it or would you rather I mean, would you rather be ahead of the curve, or would you rather just wait until you know it's inevitable and and you know you you know have been left behind if that makes sense? Brandon, good morning. Jump in here. Morning, guys. Um, Steve, Dean, I appreciate you guys doing this. This is uh, something near and dear to my heart. Um, many people here know that I did this for the last 10 years. It was in real estate. Um, started when I was 25 and um, left when I was 35, basically. Seeing a lot of this writing on the wall and knew I had to be in the Bitcoin space. Um, there are other reasons as well uh, as why I left. So kudos to you guys um, for bringing Bitcoin into the space because it needs it badly um as you guys know no better industry to orange pill than realtors holy cow so very very cool initiative um you know the demographic shift so many things going on in real estate the younger generation coming in it's going to transform big time so kudos to you guys i would love to connect with you guys that there's a lot of people i know in this space still young and old that are that are in it that that badly need this type of uh, education. And uh, so I'd love to connect with you guys and, and see you, uh, you know, more about what you guys are doing and maybe connect some people. Awesome. We love it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Brandon. Any other questions from the panel? Also, if you're in the audience, you'd like to come up and ask a question, you're welcome to do that. We got about six minutes left in the show. And then we'll um, we'll let you guys make some closing comments before we wrap as well. Go ahead, Terrence. Uh, sure. So both uh, Guy, our president and chief revenue officer, and myself have gone through parts of the course, and we were both very impressed. I'm curious 
um, how much time it took you guys to build the course and also if there are any pivots or iterations along the way as you're building it and getting feedback from folks. Well, to, good question, Terrence. You know, the course, it, you know, in, in some ways, it's it, it's hard to put a number on how long it took to build it because Chris, um, our other partner, Dean and I, we've all got, you know, literally two, three, four thousand hours in into the Bitcoin kind of research, reading all the books, you know, watching the videos, following, you know, the content. And so I think without that base level of knowledge, you know, you don't write a course like this or create a course like this. But in terms of, you know, when we sat down and really started, you know, putting pen to paper and de determining modules and how, what, which was the most important and what, you know, we don't want to, this is not a super technical course. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be really geared more towards why Bitcoin, you know, what Bitcoin is, why it's important. We talk about a lot of the concepts you know, economic, philosophical, um, political concepts. You know, we're really trying to also just open people's eyes to basic fundamentals of how our fiat system works. I mean, I can tell you right now, I could go to a real estate pitch session right now where there's 100 realtors and I could do a poll and say, how many of you know what fiat currency is? I guarantee you half of them would not even know what that term is. So we're trying to give people, uh, you know, uh, open their eyes, pull back the curtain to how this actually works, how Bitcoin's incorporated, how it converges with real estate. So about four months of creating and writing modules that were Bitcoin related, and then also sections that were specifically Bitcoin and real estate related, and how agents could actually utilize this, take this knowledge and this technology into their business right away. So you know, that that's, you know, in terms of the time it took to put it together, um, that's kind of how we got there. All right, just out of curiosity, like, um, what do you guys think? Of, I, I want to ask you kind of maybe it might seem like a little bit of a tangential question, but you've got sort of two chunks of society in, in America today. You've got basically the boomer generation for the most part owns a lot of the property and uh, they're storing a lot of their wealth in that property. They're going to probably at some point have to sell it um, in order to finance their retirements, etc. What do you guys think about um, demographically what's going to happen as that starts to continue, as these properties come in the market, um, there are younger generations of people who maybe they can't afford them. Um, and where does that go in terms of Bitcoin down the road? I guess those are two separate questions, but what do you guys see happening with Bitcoin? Do you think homeowners are going to be wanting, wanting Bitcoin at some point or what are your views there? I can I can take that, Steve. Um, great question, Alex. Um, you know what we're seeing right now. There's definitely a demographic shift that's that's going to take place. That's going to be massive, and everybody knows right now we're in this environment of you may not love your home, but you love your loan. So there's very little movement. And again, what we're going to see because of the you know ZERP policy over the last ten years the market is completely messed up where the majority of the market is locked in. 
And the Fed is not going to come in. You know, they could be doing things right now to stimulate the market, like making these loans transferable, assumable, right? Changing capital gains. There's ways to get people to move because without velocity in the market, we're in a lot of trouble. And I know, for instance, several brokers that have small brokerages and they're hanging, they're on the rivet right now. They are barely hanging on. So it'll, it'll be an interesting time. But as far as the turnover, you know, you're always having homes turnover due to death, divorce, whatever it may be. It's just people are prolonging that right now because they just either can't afford it or, or they're doing something else. But if you're moving state to state, you're moving down, you're still going to make the move. But um, in terms of what we see in Bitcoin, I think it's going to revolutionize the industry. Honestly, in a few years, I think you're going to be able to use Bitcoin for a down payment. And maybe there'll be some co-op agreement where you don't even have to sell the Bitcoin. It basically is in a, in, in a holding structure. Um, but I think it's going to revolutionize the industry. We don't even understand it yet, but it is going to change everything and it's going to happen at, at a rapid pace. So I think with the next generation being Bitcoin friendly, that agents and real estate professionals need to be in front of it. And that's what we're helping to provide. Got it. All right. Well, we are pretty much out of time for the show. I do appreciate you guys being here uh, and sharing your knowledge and expertise in the area. I know it's a subject that's probably of great interest to a lot of people. Um, so appreciate you guys being here. Closing comments. Is, is there anything you want to wrap up with? Anything you want to plug? How can people find out more information? And then we'll wrap the show. Um, yeah, I'll just do a quick plug. If, uh, you know, first of all, anyone that I, I'm, I'm mainly on Twitter on an Anon account, so I don't have a lot of followers here. So I'm trying to, I guess, build it now. But if you have questions, feel free to uh, DM me or Dean or or Orange Bridge, and we, we'd be happy to talk to you. We're you know we're absolutely looking to build alliances and like-minded people, and we're you know we we love Bitcoiners. Uh, we are Bitcoiners, so um, we'd like to connect and build and grow with you guys. If you are interested in the course, we are going to be running a, it's normally $4.99. We're going to be doing it with the code SWAN. It's going to be the biggest discount we're going to offer ever, which is going to be $2.99, so 40% off. So if you are a real estate professional or if you know real estate professionals and you want them to get uh, you know, indoctrinated, educated, whatever you want to call it the right way, this is a great way for them to wear that badge of Bitcoin knowledge and prowess and help it to actually build their business. So um, we'd love it if you sent them our way. Uh, and I think other than that, we really appreciate you, Alex and Swan, um, for allowing us to be on this um, platform. We're huge Cafe Bitcoin fans and appreciate really everything, you know, all the the knowledge and content that we get on a daily basis on, on this um, platform. So thank you for that. You bet. All right. Thanks for being here. Uh, okay. That's a wrap then. A couple of quick housekeeping items. As we mentioned before, you can get some pretty killer uh, discounts right now on Pacific Bitcoin tickets. If you buy in Bitcoin, uh, you can combine discounts. Basically, you get 21% off if you're using Bitcoin. And then if you use Cafe, you'll get another 20% for a total of 41% off. So, wild. I don't know why they're doing that. And I don't know how long they're going to do it for, but. <laughs> 
I would suggest taking advantage of the hack. Okay, uh, Wednesday night live, Bitcoin Veterans is going to be obviously doing another show. We've got uh, some really cool guests coming on. We've got Bill Stebbins, who you've heard of before, 23-year uh, Army officer, leadership and tactics instructor um, at the Command and General Staff College for like six years. He was also an XO for a three-star at the Pentagon uh, and did simulated war game stuff at Fort Leavenworth. We've also got Randy Kelly going to be coming on, former U.S. Navy SEAL. Um, he's one of the guys that actually went over and was teaching Jocko's unit some stuff on counterterrorism. He's done a bunch of intel briefings for various different uh, units that are out there doing their thing. Um, we're going to be talking about this new movie that has just been released, uh, Leave the World Behind. It's a new movie on Netflix. It was uh, produced, I guess, by Obama. So we're going to be discussing the fifth generation warfare uh, type stuff that's going on in this movie, uh, as well as what you might do if uh, the the scenario that unfolds in the movie actually does unfold. So that I uh, hope you guys join us for that. We're pretty much wrapping up here. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news, preferred uh Hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is also a podcast. If you can't catch the live show, it's on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Fountain. Throw me your swan a follow if you want to be notified of when they drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin Marathon, sponsors of the show, my crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked, Dom Bay, producer Jacob. Appreciate you guys. I'm your host, Alex Stanzik. Work with Swan. You can shoot me a DM if you want to know more. Thanks again, uh, Steve, Dean, all the speakers who come on here every day teaching people about this bright orange future is what we call getting on the mission if you don't know what that means hang on you'll figure it out love you guys everybody have a great day today get out there and crush it